Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome along to this week's FYP podcast. It's episode 484 and after our opening day win at Bravo Lane, we're going to wax lyrical about Jefferson Lerma, discuss whether Odds and Edwards winner might be his first goal of many this season and consider whether we could love Roy any more after his touchline bust up. But don't worry, it won't all be light and breezy. We will talk transfers, both incoming but perhaps more importantly, outgoing. I'm your host Jack Pierce, and joining me to discuss Saturday's win and so much more are fresh from Bramall Lane, the South London Press's Edmund Brack. Edmund, how are you? I'm oh, very well, thank you, Jack. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Good. Pleasure to have you back on first appearance of the season, first of many, we hope. Um, also joining, fresh from a weekend in Paris and the season's first cheese rolls Twitter space, is Joe Walker. Joe, ça va? Uh, ça va fatigué. <laughs> 90 days of Duolingo prepping for this trip. Yeah. I went to a party, it ca- about two and a half thousand cap. I learned on the day two anti three hundred English in attendance. So didn't speak to a single French person at the thing. No. A waste of time. Sounds about right. But the right, you know, your endeavor was in the right place. You know, you meant well. So, you know, just keep it going. You know, 90 days is a lot longer than most people ask for Duolingo. So fair play to you. Um, mercy. So, mercy. <laughs> so this week, as we are... For the whole season, we are sponsored by our friends at Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised Palace fixture over the 23-24 season. And with more than 900 sport pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter where you're based, you can catch every single minute of the action. Keep an eye out during the season for events, offers, content and competitions that put you closer to the action. If you're unable to be at Selhurst next Monday for the visit of Arsenal, then why not catch the action at your local Green King Sport pub? 
details of your nearest Green King sport venue, visit www.greenking.co.uk forward slash pubs hyphen near hyphen me. We'd also like to thank our patrons whose continued support is much appreciated. If you're not currently a patron and would like to support us and receive, among other things, access to post-match podcasts with the likes of Adam Sells and the Athletics Don Byfield, please visit patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Finally, before we get going, we also wanted to mention an eagle who we sadly lost two years ago. Jeff Hill was a huge Palace fan and was a regular game since the 1990s. He'd been contacted by his good friend Simon Nicholl, who has told us that in Jeff's memory, his friends are getting on their bikes to raise money for Cure Leukemia, which is a charity that Jeff was helped by and that he wanted to help in return. He believed in the pioneering work that Cure Leukemia does, but that research costs, so that's what this bike ride is about. Former Palace captain Jeff Thomas will be leading the bike ride in mid-September, and it'll mark two-year anniversary of Jeff's passing. If you can help them meet their target of £5,000, then please donate at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash cheers gov. We will put the details in the show notes and also advertise on social media. Understand JD is also hoping to have a chat with Jeff Thomas in the next week or so um, to further shine a light on the efforts that Jeff's friends are endeavouring with. So best of luck with that, guys. And we will, as I said, uh, post the details in the show notes, but also um, on wider social media. Um, okay, on with the show. Uh, before we talk transfers, I think we should revel in Saturday's results. Edmund, the season has started and football is back. I know you covered a few football league matches before Saturday, but how good was it back to be watching Palace again? And from your seat in the press box, what did get us over the line in this one? Uh, it was good to be watching Palace again in a competitive outing after after the pre-season friendlies. Um, in terms of what was over the line on Saturday, I think uh, Sheffield United's poor squad probably helped a little bit. I mean, in terms of their depth and the, and the quality that they have running through it, uh, it's nowhere near a Premier League team by any stretch of the imagination. I think what Palace did on Saturday very well was a professional sort of performance in every stretch of the imagination, you know, from goalkeeper all the way through to Odson Edward at the top of the pitch. Everyone did their jobs. Um, I know I'm sure we'll touch on him at some stage, but Jefferson Salerma was absolutely outstanding. Um, he actually really bossed the midfield during the game and that, and that midfield duo, along with the defence, formed the base that allowed us to, to really take all three points in the first game of the season. Uh, it was a it was a strong start, a good performance, but you left perhaps feeling like maybe we're still lacking that magic at the top end of the pitch, which uh, needs to be addressed in his final few to the transfer window. Yeah, Joe, we talked last week about this one, and, and I feared the worst, as only a Palace fan can. You were a little bit more confident than I was, and I'm proved to be correct in in that. Um, very much a case of established Premier League side versus newcomers it looked like is that how you saw it yeah that i i think so i i do think all the time we don't get the second goal there is that kind of little voice that says uh you know this is it will just be palace or, or you know all those fears that you had prior to the game are still there and unless we get that second goal because it doesn't say you know it only takes one chance or the break it only takes a second to score a goal all that stuff they didn't look like they were very creative, to be honest. And I think it, we demonstrated already, you know, why we might need some help in the wide areas still. Although, you know, pre sorry, Jordan, I, I will be back to praise you in a minute. <laughs> the the central spine throughout this team is so impressive and kind of dominating against 
you know, yes, they have lost a couple of players, Sheffield United, but that's still a team overall that have kind of come up together. So it's still not to be sniffed at. It's very impressive away performance, a controlling performance. Um, I haven't got the exact stat, but the kind of as a uh, domination, it's kind of the most chance create the amount of chances created for others as well as chances that he had himself. Most shots of the weekend by the Premier League, by how I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And the combined that with who, who he created for others was right up there in terms of um, sort of records in the Premier League in a single game. So, uh, you know, they, they, on another day, we might that might have been a, a, a Leeds United away last season where it's a three or four or five. Um, as such, it was one. But at this at this point of the season, I guess you say at any point of the season really, but particularly I feel like in the first month as you're working each other out and we know there's still more to come in or out. But, the, you know, you'll take the points first and foremost at this stage of the season. Yeah, I think a lot, as you both say, a lot of the uh, post-match coverage has been about uh, Shepard United's inadequacies, particularly regarding the two losses they had last week of Indy and Berger. Um, but I think any away win in the Premier League is is a good one. And to start the season with one is is fantastic. And there's particularly at a time when a lot of Palace fans are thinking we need to add to the squad still. But as you both alluded to, that call throughout the team is probably what got us over the line in this one. And one man who's had a lot of praise in South Asia was Jefferson Lerma. And Edmund, Jefferson Lerma was our only debutant on uh, on Saturday, but clearly had an impact. Outstanding throughout. Um, you know, his stats, 12 out of 13 aerial duels won, 100% of his tackles won, 82%, uh, sorry, 82 touches throughout the game, which for a midfielder is is, is very good, particularly a Palace midfielder. Uh, three tackles won, so that's 100% again, but five ground duels he, he got the better of. Uh, he won fouls, his protection of the ball was very good throughout and actually provided an emphasis going forward, which I think a lot of Palace fans were surprised by, given how diligent he's been defensively in a bright, uh, sorry, a bright shirt, in a Bournemouth shirt. Um, to see him actually adding to our uh, attack play w- was really positive too. What in particular impressed you with his performance there and uh, watching live at Bramall Lane? Uh, I guess it would be the, the seamless way in which he, he fitted in alongside Czech the Coro. I mean, if you look at the CDM market at the moment, it's incredibly inflated. And we've managed to pick up a CDM who has 100 Premier League experiences under his belt, was Bournemouth player of the season, I believe, last year yeah. uh, on a free transfer. It's an unbelievably shrewd bit of business by the football club. Um, he's got the experience, which perhaps you know we lost over the summer with James McArthur and Luka Milivojevic going. We needed someone with the robustness of coming in and playing in Premier League games. He has that in abundance. Um, he looked like he'd been playing with us for a few years, to be honest. I, I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint him if I was a neutral watching the game saying he just joined over the summer. It was a thoroughly impressive performance and Rory alluded to it in his post-match. You know, he's, he, he, very often he's, he's very good at praising players, especially attacking players, but I think what would have pleased him most from that performance was the defensive side of the thing, uh, of, of the display. Uh, we only limited Sheffield United to, to one shot on target. I think it was a speculative effort from from quite a few yards out. So in terms of our defensive play, uh, uh, you know, we have a great base anyway with Mark Gahey, Joachim Anderson, Wardy and, and Tyreek Mitchell. We don't, we don't concede a huge amount of goals, especially under Roy. So to have Jefferson Lerma covered and shore things up, yeah, it's just going to be a massive help to us this season. He was even dropping in between Gahey and Anderson when we were defending set pieces. And when we, I think we conceded quite a few last year because um, we're not necessarily the tallest team in the Premier League. So to have him come in and make us look even better at that 
Uh, it just it just shows how crucial he's going to be in the season going forward. Yeah, spot on. I think um, I think we were all expecting him to start a game on on Saturday, um, and there was hope that over the season he would perhaps improve us as a team. But to have such an impact from the first uh, from the first whistle of the season is is fantastic. Joe, I'll, I'll put to you Toby Kinder's question, um, and, and you can answer it in terms of maybe what you took away from Jefferson Lerma's uh, game on Saturday. But did we learn a lot? from that game and, and you can interpret that in any any which way that you would like to it's a, a deep sigh <laughs> first and foremost no so pre, it's pre-season for the question it's pre-season for the question so, no, it's early doors bit of early season rustiness maybe yeah um, yeah which is has to be forgiven I mean the way we started off last week's pod was uh, you know carnage last week apologies so. and then we're just grateful that you're tuning in this week so <laughs> thank you for coming back yeah if you're still there listener um <laughs> I I don't think we learned a great deal. I I know I I think I think those that imp- I, I I think based on his performances for Bournemouth and his record so far, I was pretty confident that he would do very well. I'm intrigued to see really how he comes up against you know the more quote unquote established Premier League sides. I think our next fixture is a, a much bigger test, and I'm interested to see how that balance changes or uh, is affected against a much more kind of high pressure high quality midfield arguably you know could be the now the best midfield in the Premier League some might argue so um, it'd be really interesting because you know I think one of the big issues this time last year was that Czech Decore looked really impressive coming in from the moment he stepped through the door but was very clearly doing a lot on his own and Mm -hmm. Wouldn't very and wasn't even lasting ninety minutes, was he? he was very re- regularly getting subbed because he just looked out of gas because it, it was the responsibility defensively certainly was so much. So I think we'll be able to use this parallel this season. Obviously, Decor is a lot more settled now, and Hodgson has sorted things out in a way where he's not as hamstrung or just you know being asked to be here, there, and everywhere. But we can kind of use these coming fixtures and I think Arsenal was right at the start of last season as well at home so so we can almost use it as a direct comparison in midfield as to what what Lerma brings for the rest of the team as well as kind of just what he can bring as an individual but how how he complements others and improves in turn you know his teammates as well as his own performances yeah there was a a there is a showreel um, of its own from from Saturday some lovely touches but for me, the the best bit of skill during the game was uh, Jefferson Lerma beating a man with one header over the top. Which um, Edmund, I'm guessing you had a pretty good view from the uh, from from the perch uh, you had. Yeah. But um, yeah, to to be an opponent just with with one simple movement of the head was great. And and that's what I'm talking about in terms of his drive into the final third. And you know, the goal came from Jefferson Lerma being that far forward. Um, and and I think he played the ball out wide to Jordan Ayew. And and Joe, we talked last week about where the goals might come from this season. Instinctively, I think we all felt we were going to be relying on Ebbs to maintain his form of last season. But how pleased were you to see Odson Edwards start the season with a goal? And, and where do you think he could go from this season? What do you want to see from, from Odson in the next few weeks to kind of solidify the good start that he's had to the season with a winner on Saturday? I think it was exactly what he needed, firstly. When you think, reflect back to what we were discussing around him, if not the general kind of attacking play and roster at Palace, if you like, in the forward areas, it was clear that 
whoever would be staying, whoever would be playing, really just needed a, a, a win somewhere, one in off anywhere on his body, really, just to kind of get the momentum going. Because it would, you know, it's it could likely be Edward's last season with Palace if it didn't quite become another more than five, six goal season uh, record. So for him to, for him, it doesn't matter the opposition, all the stuff I've said regards kind of broader performance. I think for someone in Edward's position, get the goal, worry about everything else later. And I, you know, Ed, I mean, we're getting Edward, we're getting, sorry, we're getting IU assists, beating the man wide. For all the things I love, I love his close control and, and uh, his hold up play. I don't, I'm not always the most confident of him beating a fullback. I, that's not what I really ask him to do. So that was really encouraging to see. And uh, I guess if you, Edward has got a couple of goals now under, under in this sort of second Roy spell. And I, I, I don't think it's not quite like plentiful, but it's clear he's the favoured one when both, when all the strikers are fit. And, uh, you know, we're not at a stage yet where we need to shunt him wide left and maybe you go through the middle. I, I would like it if I could pick as a god who would be the who would be the one that starts getting the goals for us and makes it work. It would be Odson Edward. So I'm really happy that that's a really progressive, great first step for this season. Um, again, we'll carve against tougher opposition and stuff, but you know he's took his chance, and uh, that's all we can be asking for at the moment. You know there were certainly opportunities in that game where we needed where you know others didn't take those chances. So. I'm not going to, you know, I've already got high praise for the, the man that did and took it. He, he ultimately scored the winner in a Premier League match and you can't really look beyond that. And Edmund, the type of goal that it was is perhaps the type of chance that we've often accused Odson Edward of not being in the right place at the right time for in previous seasons. So that was a little bit more of an instinctive number nine finish where sometimes he's a little bit caught on his heels. So pleased to see the type of goal it was as, as well as it being the winner. Um, that, that could bode well for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's it's a real cliche, but it was a striker's finish in terms of just being in the right place in the right time. And that's all you need really as a striker, just that confidence just to get one and then you go on a little run and before you know it, you scored four, five and six. Um, but I think that's the one thing he's probably lacked throughout his time at the club is just that consistency. We've had quite a few full storms where he's got one or two in a row and then he just fades out of games for a bit or Jordan I goes through the middle and the, with the way that we play, you can't just be a goal scorer in our team. You need to be able to bring the the wide players, the creative players into the game. Otherwise, we're not going to pick up any points in the Premier League. We can't just have one player not doing the dirty work and bringing everyone else into play. Um, but in terms of Odson, um, he's got a great pedigree, doesn't he? If you look at when he was at Celtic, he was incredibly highly rated. And we've seen as a massive coup for Palace to bring him into the football club. He's been linked to the likes of AC Milan, you know, massive, massive football clubs around Europe. Hasn't quite worked out for him in the Premier League just yet, but you know I think the good thing about Roy and, and one of the reasons why we all feel kind of safe with him at the helm is that he gets the best out of these players. And if there's anyone who he needs to get the best out of to supplement the goals, cool, uh, the goals that we've lost over the summer, it's Odson Edward because there is a real talent there. It's just about finding that consistency for him. It's strange that you say maybe that perhaps his best position has a bit on the left. I thought maybe his best period for the club had been. I think it was during the COVID, uh, Patrick Vieira's first season Christmas when... Christmas period. Was it Boxing Day? When, yeah, the Christmas period. Um, when he was coming in off the left, I think he scored three and two or, or something along those lines. And I thought that was maybe where the best I've seen him play for us. He looked really sharp. I think it was when Wilf went off to AFCON and he filled in on that left wing role. So 
if Jordan Ayers does get, go through the middle, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Odson play out on the left because that, that's just uh, another flank that we've got danger on. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, that, that spell, I think maybe Wilf, not before he went to AFCON, but maybe suspended after his uh, mad five minutes at White Hart Lane. But we're going to try and have a will-free, a will-free podcast this week, I think. But, Sorry. Uh, not, not, no, no, no. You're, you're right to raise it, but I, I, otherwise, you know, the listener might just start hearing me blubbering down the microphone. So surprise, surprise, surprise you ever got the... Galatasaray Champions League game on off screen. That, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, that is, as we record, he is likely to make his Champions League debut tonight. I understand, um, but no, I think in terms of of striking options, we we probably should refer to the most. Uh, we will come on to transfer rumours um, in in part two. But in terms of peculiar transfer rumours of the week, I think build linking um, Jean-Philippe Mateta with a move to Borussia Dortmund is the one that's probably caught me by surprise the most. So, you know, it might be that Odson Edouard is starting because the club are actively looking to to move JP on. Um, but JP's been linked with moves away pretty much since he joined Palace, so who knows where that one might end. Adley Smiths asks, um, if if Edward was to start every match, as, as you both just advocated there, how many would you predict he gets this season? I confidently suggested last week that he'd, he'd get double figures in terms of league goals this season, and where he started the season, I'm, I'm happy to stick with that. Uh, under or over 10 this year? Joe, you first, just in terms of over-under. Oh, I think over particularly I, I, I don't know if you were looking for a one word answer there but oh, yeah, it, it was something Ed said there that uh, about you know it was the strikers finish and I actually can't, you take a step back for a minute that goal a few of Edward's goals have been inside the box you know fox in the box stuff but the, a lot of his best work isn't normally in the box for Palace because in possession he's often maybe out on the left or just coming inside and having to travel a lot with it. I don't think he can score that goal very often last season because we have inverted wide, we have a Wilf or Elise who are cutting in and are, they're delivering the ball in a totally different way. They're not really guys that spray the ball across goal and they never have been really. I think even kind of the strikers that worked best with a Wilf uh, on that side, uh, Glenn Murray will say, it still didn't really, you know, that they, they just learnt to adapt they weren't necessarily on the line, kick tapping in ones like that. So, if we, if it's interesting to see how we move forward, where if if it's going to be IU wide right and a left footer on the left, um, of course we've got France still to come in, and um, maybe yeah, somebody else in the future. We don't know. No, just to double check, Joe, you're advocating a Jeffrey Schlupp, Jordan IU, Austin Edward front three for the rest of the season. Is that what you're saying? I'm not, but I'm just I'm curious to see how that. It, it might actually, it might actually do odds to Edwards and favours. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're talking about the goal threat previously being those wingers cutting inside, well, come on to Michael Lise, but obviously one of them has certainly departed, and it's going to make his debut for Galatasaray in the Champions League tonight. Um, and the other one may well be, I mean, he's certainly not going to play for the next six weeks, eight weeks anyway due to injury, but it's quite possible that he's on his way. So, yeah, the central striker may benefit from a change of of player in that position, and and. The preferred foot that they have. So that, that's interesting. Edmund, uh, under over in terms of Odson. And then if you want to kind of elaborate on Odson a bit more, feel free to see if there's anything to add. Uh, uh, under, because I think Jordan Ayew will be our central striker uh, for the rest of the going. And once the transfer window's closed and we've got our, our full team sort of put together. And it's only because I alluded to the fact earlier about that you need to be more than a striker to, to play in our team. I, I thought his, his link up play was really good and uh, on Saturday, Odson. But in terms of what he's shown throughout his course of the time at the football club, I don't, I don't think it's enough to 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 say that he can confidently bring whoever we bring in to the football club into play week in week out, especially when we're up against the bigger teams. Um, you know, Sheffield United squad 
has been has been mentioned already about about how strong it is. But uh, when you're coming up against like Arsenal's or Manchester City's, then you need someone to to bring Eze into play to shoot from distance and, and win you a point. Um, Jordan is probably the one to do that. So uh, reluctantly under, but um, I wouldn't put past him scoring a brace here or there. Yeah. Okay. Nice. It's a it's a variety of views on this podcast. If we'd all gone for the same one, it would have been uh, a bit dull. Just finally, before we move on to, to listeners' questions and, and and a bit more transfer talk, um, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the, on the actual incident. But Roy's minor flare up with Max Lowe was picked up by the cameras, and it's fair to say a lot of Palace fans laughed seeing the firing firing Roy. The, the rebel in Roy does seem to be burning a little bit brighter than it has previously. Refer back to the anger during the severe friendly publicly stating he needs more in the squad and, and more additions added to the squad. And and now this incident with, uh, incident with Lowe on, on Saturday, he just seems a little bit more impassioned than than he has at other times um, while Palace managing, particularly towards the end of his first spell. And, I, and I'm here for it. So that's the first thing to say. But Edmund, you were in the uh, press room after uh, the game. How was he? How is he? Is he looking as kind of excited as he did on the touchline? How's he, how's he looking going into, into another season of management? Eight seventy six, and we should wish him many happy returns for another birthday last week. Yeah, certainly. I think when when he first came back to the club, um, I thought well, I could tell that in no disrespect that, that he had aged. He looked like he he'd been out of the game for a while, and then week by week, every press conference went by, and he was looking younger and younger. He was answering with more authority. He seemed. He seemed to enjoy press conferences a little bit more, which I'm not sure. I'm not sure many managers do. Um, and this season, he looks fired up. I think he mentioned that uh, on on the press conference before the Sheffield United game that he wanted to come back because he wanted to work with this group of players. I'm sure he was probably disappointed that the way that his his first spell at the club petered out, you know, with the COVID, with the way that the club were hamstrung by fin- financial issues, um, not issues, but in terms of that they didn't sp- spend as much money as. It's probably needed to, to supplement the squad at times and we had to revert to the style of play away from when he first came in. Maybe it didn't satisfy him uh, as much as people made out. So coming back this time around, setting the target of getting Crystal Palace another top 10 finish, he has a point to prove in what could possibly be his, his final season in professional football. So he's not come here just to, to see out another contract or just to get Crystal Palace safe in the Premier League. He wants to achieve something with us and uh, uh, I-, I hope we give him the players to do it because um, some of the football we've played under him has, has been my favourite to watch as a Crystal Palace fan. And I think we'll um, we'll draw part one to an end with the uh, focus on the phrase possibly his final season in management because uh, I dare say it's not beyond the realms of possibility we'll be celebrating Roy Hobson's 77th birthday next August yep. and it's been taking us into another season but hey that's the cynic in me and, and we should be a little bit more optimistic. Um, so guys thanks so much that's the enough revelling in uh, the opening day win. Uh, listeners, join us after the break when we get stuck into your questions and we will start talking about transfer dealings, both incoming and perhaps more personally outgoing. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to the FYP podcast, sponsored by our friends at Green King Sports. Find your nearest Green King Sports pub, visit www.greenking.co.uk forward slash pubs hyphen near hyphen me. So guys, before we get uh, to the listener questions, there are a couple of topics to cover. Um, firstly, and uh, Joe, I presume you thought I would ask this question, I just wondered if either of you had any particular strong opinions about Joel Ward being appointed club captain. Um, I think there may have been the possibility of Mark Gay being appointed. I think that would have made a lot of sense and, and perhaps would have given him the gravitas that his performance in a Palace shirt probably deserved. But the appointment of Joel Ward, it doesn't strike me as being particularly controversial, but does seem to still have spiked a degree of controversy, particularly on social media. Which I, I don't think is fair, really. I I, I don't know. I, I hear people talk about the captaincy and how it's treated in other countries. Sometimes it really is just the most senior player in the squad, um, particularly international level. I think Italy always give the captain's armband to the most capped player, essentially. Um, but as for Palace... I could have seen more of an argument for Mark Gay, particularly at points last season where it maybe felt like Joel Ward wasn't going to be playing as often or wasn't in favour. It was someone that we were looking to move on from. But even having said that, Luca was still club captain officially and all those ambassadorial duties that presumably come with that off the pitch. Um, so being a regular starter doesn't necessarily feel like it has to be part of that criteria. He has... You know, now that Wolf's gone, and I know I'm sorry to keep mentioning him, but it, it, Joel Ward has been here such a long time now. He is part of the furniture, and but is still in the first team. Is still a valuable starter, um, like someone who I think has really, really done well since Roy's come back as well. And I just think that makes sense. I think it totally makes sense. He, I, I don't know whether he's necessarily a player that is lifted by that responsibility or needs it. Sometimes you get that. And equally, on the other side, Mark Gray maybe doesn't need to be given the armband to convince to stay. I remember we, I remember Peter Taylor gave Jerry McEnough the captain's armband to convince him to stay. And, yeah. you know, for, I, don't think, I don't think it's that kind of situation that we've got with him. I don't, he may not be here forever, but I don't think he, I don't think his voice quietens on the pitch as a result of not having that armband. He seems like a natural leader anyway. So, yeah, I'm all for Joe Ward having that. And, you know, who else would you want to lift that FA Cup this season? It's got a few weeks in it. Come on. Here he is. Yeah. No, I, I mean, if, if that happens, that would be uh, in, incredible. But I mean, you, know, you make some very fair points about uh, Joel Wards, and, and I don't need to wax lyrical about Joel Ward too much. But, you know, he, he is the longest serving uh, member at the club now um, and has never let the club down. And as you say, is a, a constant feature under Roy Hodgson. So for, for Roy to make that decision, it probably does indicate that he is going to play more. But as you also say, it's club captain and it's quite possible we will see Mark Gay wear the armband. Funnily enough, the club didn't announce who the vice captain 
is or vice captains were, as someone um, pointed out, the Spurs have done with the you know departure of Harry Kane. They've announced Son Heung-min as the captain, but they've also announced Christian Romero and James Madison to be the vice-captains. We haven't announced the vice-captain, but you'd anticipate Mark Gay would be the one to, to you know, be given that title if, if there was to be the title to give. But Edmund, Mark Gay, the obvious one, but the only other one that would strike me as you know, maybe Captain Matura right now is, is Joachim Anderson, who wore the armband for Fulham when he was there. It, relatively simple decision in your mind? Yeah, I don't think there can be too much argument about who was given the, the club captains to. I mean, Joel Ward is the is the model professional. Um, I, I don't think it it matters too much from professional football these days. I mean, it's it's the one who fronts up to the media after the defeat, but it's all, it's the one who sets the standards in training, sets the tempo. And if you've got a youngster coming up from from the academy and maybe they're slightly nervous training with the first team for their first day, just the one to put an arm around their shoulder and uh, help them settle into the environment or a crunching tackle to help them settle into the environment. So, yeah, and in terms of Wardy's performances under Roy, I I think he's been excellent. Um, It's almost having sort of an Indian summer, the ways he's gallivanting down at right home touchline and the Hampshire calf in getting forward. uh, He's been really impressive. So, no, I don't think there can be any arguments about him being the club captain going forward for the season. And he played well on Saturday? He did, yeah. Yeah, he did play well, yeah. yeah. It was excellent. Um, um, yeah. But that's the thing with Joel. You, you never expect anything else than a, a 7 out of 10. He might, you know, he, he might find it tough some days against Martinelli, Saka, someone someone of that ilk. But you know when when Crystal Palace are defending a lead, he's going to throw his body on the line to win the three points. And that's what you want from a club captain. He gets it as well. I, I miss the days when he used to go around uh, Selhurst clapping the Arthur way and then across the Holmesdale and then down the tunnel that was the peak Crystal Palace but um, yeah he's he's, he's he's the perfect choice for the role so um, yeah that's enough said on Joel Ward I think it's a, a no-brainer and, and genuinely was quite surprised it caused so much conjecture on social media but anyway that's a, a different story and we'll start I guess we'll talk uh, a little bit more about social media and, and its response to, to developments this afternoon we're, we're recording on Tuesday so Tuesday afternoon has seen I think David Ornstein, Fabrizio Romano, all go public with deal being agreed between Chelsea and Palace for the signing of Michael Elise, which um, obviously is not the news that Palace fans would want to hear, although I think a lot of Palace fans have sensed that it was inevitable over the last few weeks um, that the constant rumours linking Elise with the move away, but specifically to Chelsea. Um, things do seem to be moving quite quickly, so it is quite possible, listener, that by the time you're listening to this, you may want to see Michael Elise hold up that Chelsea shirt, which... Uh, I apologise if we're slightly behind the curve, but Edwin, in terms of 20 to 8 on Tuesday night, what is the latest as far as you're aware? It's a a tough one. Uh, I don't particularly want to nail my colours to the mask on on anything with Michael Lisa because it seems like it's it's changing every 20 minutes. So what the situation is, uh, it's got to be one of the most bizarre sort of transfers, contract situations I've I've seen in a while. Granted, I haven't been doing this for a very long time, but with the sort of reports that you're getting about release clauses, not release clause, release clause being certain amount, sell-on clauses now to to his old club, Reading. It um, it feels it feels very confusing. Uh, I'm not sure whether Crystal Palace are totally 100% sure what's going on either. It feels very, very, very confusing. Um, I think the one thing is for certain is that Michael Lise is a, is a top, top talent. And when you're looking at the fee being banded around for, for £35 million, pounds, it's a sucker punch because when you're seeing someone like Anthony play for Manchester United last night and he's worth £85 million, pounds. Michael Elise, as we all know, is, is three times the player that Anthony is and he's 
produced it consistently on the Premier League stage. So when we're switching to a model where we're buying low and selling high for our own future of development, it feels like you haven't quite achieved what you wanted to. But it's, it's still a it's still an incredible transfer fee for someone who has bought for eight million pounds. But in today's market, I think we all know what he's truly worth, and that's the that's the real gut punch about this deal. Yeah, it does seem an absolute steal if if the fee of between thirty five and forty million pounds is is to be believed. What is the issue with the Reading? There's there's some story coming around a little bit more this afternoon that Reading have a clause on the actual fee or a little bit on top of that fee. What was the situation with that one? I think it's so that Crystal Palace get a front fee of, of a certain amount and then Reading also get a sell-on fee that was not from the fixed amount but another added fee. So I don't think it would take away from what Crystal Palace are guaranteed. Like a finder's fee of some, some uh, something like that. Well, it's probably it's probably because they're so annoyed about losing in Friday eight million to us back in. Uh, True enough, it, back it is. In, yeah. As we said before we recorded, if, if there's any club that do need a bit of a financial boost right now, it is probably Reading. Um, Joe, uh, he was going to miss, you know, the, the first month or two, possibly up to three months, given the injury that he suffered away with the French on the 21 side. Um, but this is a blow, isn't it? I think a lot of Palace fans had hoped that we'd have Michael Olise for at least another season. Yes, you know that you you have hopes that you know this new model is is here and it's probably here to stay, but. You kind of mentally, I mentally prepared for maybe, you know, one big departure in the summer and that hopefully it would, would be how it is. But you can't control these things all the time. And uh, I mean, I found the debate really interesting online, actually, the less kind of angry ones anyway, about whether this is a really smart management of him by his team or representatives or the opposite, I, you know. We got him for quite a reasonable amount of money because of a release uh, fee, and equally, it's it's clearly something that his him and his representatives want in could these kind of contracts, so that if he does want to move, he's not tied down anywhere. It really does seem to be player power in action, and um, it's int- I I personally think going back to Chelsea, I'm sure the money's crazy. I'm sure that he's got friends there from before. I still, I you know, I still don't think it's the best place to be this quickly for him, particularly in a club that's still a bit chaotic, and uh, you know, it's confusing. You know, the way things are going, could be buying another six wingers between now and next summer. It's it's just, um, but his his heart and mind seem set on it, and you know, you then start to reflect on, ah, uh, did we did we make the best of those couple of years with him? One more year, you know. Can you imagine him playing on Saturday at, at Bramall Lane? I think he would have had the time of his life. If, you've got, if Jordan Ayew's beating the, the left-back one-on-one, at least they might have had a, a field day. You know, Red White might have had. I think Ben Osborne probably would still be on the pitch at Bramall Lane, just kind of feeling sorry for himself if Michael Elise had, had been there. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree with everything you just said. I, I think it's um, an interesting move for him. It's clearly a move that keeps him... Uh, in the south of England, which is, is where his family are based, and, and that makes a lot of sense. He was at Chelsea as a youngster, so as you say, it's a club that he may be a little bit more familiar with. But I, I you know, when I started to see his name being mentioned with Man City, there was something that did make me think you know, a player that we all think will go to right to the top. If he'd had a bit of nurturing from Pep Guardiola, I, I thought we were going to see one hell of a player, and I, I, I think I will probably be proved wrong because I think he'll find his way wherever he is because he's such a talent. But I, I just think that move to Chelsea. Uh, particularly the Chelsea as of right now, just seems a peculiar one. Um, 
And I don't know if he'll get as much Premier League time as, as he would have done at Palace when he is back from full fitness. But ultimately, if you play the clause game as we did with him two summers ago, you, you die by the clause game because he was under no um, obligation to ever extend that clause. Once we signed it, we signed him on a five-year contract. So in terms of his security, he was settled in, in knowing that even though Palace could have offered a, a pay bump, the payday was going to come at some point because he was such a talent. So I think... If this is the end for Palace and Michael Elise, I think we um, look back at some amazing moments and we will talk about Michael Elise for years to come. And I think we'll be talking about a player who will reach the very top of European football, both internationally and at club level. Um, it's just a huge shame we just haven't had him for a bit longer. Um, who knows where this story might go, but you know when you start seeing David Ornstein um, dropping what the kids call horn bombs, then um, you start to believe it's, it's more a matter of... Uh, when, not if. So, um, listener, you, you'll you'll see. Edmund, anything else you want to add on? Yeah, it's interesting to talk about the debate about whether he's been you know, well managed or poorly managed. He's been excellently managed from a from a player's point of view. There's there was no chance Michael and Lisa was going to hang around for for more years than he needed to. Um, <clears throat> as you said, live live by the release clause, die by the release clause. We favoured in it when we got him for eight million. Yeah. We were all saying, what's still. Um, it's criminal, really, that we that we got him for that amount, and how good he looked in his first two Premier League seasons. So it's no surprise to see that he's going to be leaving under a release clause as well, because his representatives wouldn't have wanted him to stay here on a on a contract for five years and and play most of his football for Crystal Palace. Because you know, I spoke to Mark Bowen, his his old manager at Reading, when <clears throat> when he joined us, and he said he'll go to the very top and. Uh, I'm sure Crystal Palace thank me thank me for saying it, but he will go there very soon and, and he wasn't wrong. He's gone there quicker than I expected than many of us thought he would when he first joined, but I don't think we quite realised what special talent we had on our hands when he joined. He is an unbelievable footballer with unbelievable abilities. I mean his left foot has to be one of the best in world football. Um so Chelsea are getting a steal. It's gonna be sad to see him go, but for me he goes with the best wishes because he's he's been excellent. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, there's no exaggeration to say he's got one of the best left feet in, in certainly European football, but yeah, probably beyond actually. I mean, that pass and um, the set up Abri Jose's second goal against Bournemouth, um, that was quite the pass. I don't think I've seen many better passes at Sellers Park in, in nearly 30 years of watching Palace. So um, yeah, very sad to see him go, but deal's there to be made and looks like Chelsea have pressed go on yet another deal. Um, this isn't a Chelsea podcast, so we won't get into how they are meeting FFP, but um, Edmund, anything else, mate? Well, would this be as much of a blow if, a question for you two, would this be as much of a blow if Will Vad signed on? Well, it's, uh, what I would say to that is I'm finding it quite disingenuous to see Palace fans um, talk about losing Wilf and Elise for £35 million because w Wilf was not ever going to go for any money this summer. So if, if I guess the question in that case would be, well, would you have accepted... 15 to 25 million pounds, which probably would have been the highest bid that would have been made for Wilf last summer. And I don't think any Palace fan on the back of him scoring 14 league goals in 21-22 would have said yes to that. So you were going to, you know, you talk about live by the release calls, die by the release calls regarding Elise. Well, you kind of play by the last year of contract, die by the last year of contract with Wilf. So there was always the risk of both of them going this summer, particularly as this release clause is available in Michael Elise's contract. Um, I do think, yeah, the blow probably would be softer if we kept Will, but I, I actually think if you said to me, if both were starting the season with Palace, I'd 
be pretty confident in saying Michael Elise will have a more impactful season for Palace in 23-24 than Wilfred Zaha would have had. Even if Wilfred had a very good season, I think Michael Elise would have had an incredible season this year. That might have been slightly tailored um, by the injury. Uh, you know, hamstring injuries are tough ones to come back from. So it might have taken him possibly up to Christmas to get back to, to full speed. But it's a shame because I, I was genuinely so excited to see another year of Michael Elise. I think we were going to see quite the player don't know what to equate it to possibly the levels of maybe Gareth Bale before he went to Madrid that I was thinking it could be that good I was so excited to see him and that was tempered somewhat by the injury I thought if he had a full pre-season um which he hasn't had for Palace in either of his seasons and won't have going into this season with Chelsea um there's one hell of a player if he can keep himself fit there's one hell of a career to be had for Michael Elise that is that that Wilf and Elise kind of side by side is interesting because they're both examples of Palace as a club picking their respective poisons for those players. So great, we get to keep Wilf for sort of ten plus seasons. That mean it that then means you're not going to get any money for him on the back end. Fine, we were happy with that. Cool, you can get Michael Elise in your team for a couple of years. He's not going to hang around because it, it comes with this release clause. Great, yeah, we'll have some of that either. It's two different situations, but ones that we were evidently very happy with. Although, granted, we did offer. Will a huge thing to stay. We probably thought we might not ever leave. But um, what this kind of because you know there was a lot of speculation and gossip around what what this actual the real intricacies of this release clause or fee and someone was like oh if it, if it's a club out it can only be a Champions League club or something like that they you know the Olise has to be notified all these kind of bits and bobs that we're trying to get a picture of. This news today kind of rubbished a, a lot of the kind of quote unquote consensus on that. And um, which has made me think and reframe this summer a bit, which is I presume, I think there was an assumption that France are coming in was a, uh, you know, let's fill in that gap left and avoid left by Wilfred Zaha, which it kind of was to an extent. But I, I can imagine as a as a club, as a, the sort of the people with the, the accounts and all that, if this. Having had the season he just had, if this release fee, release clause existed and they knew it did and he didn't want to budge on it, having tried to renegotiate earlier in the season, I would assume now that France is, was us trying to do succession planning for Michael Elise. And maybe Wolf then not staying has accelerated the need to go and make that move and get it done a bit quicker. But now we now also need to go and get somebody else. Because um, I guess the when you point to the successful, you know, buy low, sell high models, sadly Brighton is one of the best at the moment. And what is very good the, the way that they do things is that the player that they've already got Caicedo as a place for you didn't even know they signed him. They, he was ages ago, and the same goes for who who will replace McAllister and all these other players. But they're already kind of doing that quietly, and I feel like maybe you know we knew that we were looking at France. Uh, for a year almost so is it the case that suddenly this is an additional trolley dash that we're having to do because but yeah i i i, I find that i don't know why well, i don't really have a conclusion on that one but it has made me rethink whether i think we've been very harsh online to some of those kind of strategy and approach this summer because two of our favorites have left essentially but that one that but i i don't know whether actually we're not giving enough credit on one hand because maybe france are was designed to replace Elise rather than uh, than Wilf. Well, whatever the succession but, planning is, I, I think we are still a bit light in those wide areas. There's no 
doubting about that and the fact that Jez Raksaki has not gone out on loan um, despite there being a queue of championship clubs lined up for him says more to me than anything that you, you're right I mean Franca was probably brought in to add to a gap in that wide area but I don't think he's been bought to cover both positions so no. you know the, the risk of losing Michael Elise has always been there you know, Dougie Freeman Steve Parrish everyone would have known that unless that clause changed I mean to be honest I'm surprised that he wasn't picked up last year 35 million is all it took I'd have gone in early last year to kind of just get him um, but then he was injured at that point as well but I think you have to hope the club have got an if Michael leaves situation board and there must be names on that board you know there's been links with players from across the world there's a Chilean teenager I saw us getting very excited about on Twitter the other night and you know it, it's the type of thing that the club you have to hope have in place a list of five targets should Michael go these are who we go and I I trust the board. I, I trust Dougie, um, and I would expect additions to come in because I think it lo- it does look like we are light. Um, so whoever Frank Frencher was the succession plan for, we still need. I mean, one or two. I mean, Selzy will tell you three or four. I don't know if we will get three or four, but um, we, we are certainly light. Um, I think we'll leave the Michael Lise there because the things are going to move. By the time listeners have listened to this, things will have evolved a bit more, and we will obviously talk more about. Cummings and going hopefully, hopefully Cummings to Palace in in response to this um, this sad going. We'll carry on the transfer theme, though. Um, and, and Edmund, I'll, I'll put this one to you. This is from uh, Made You Grav. Um, I think that's uh, screen name rather than anything. But uh, cites the good performance on Saturday, but then uh, goes into asking why it takes us so long to announce signings. Uh, surely Hall should have signed by now. Takes us weeks. Upper teams are done in a day. And Edmund, I will put that one to you. You know, you, you broke the story and it seems like everything was pr- progressing quite nicely in terms of that deal. Um, I think the um, issue initially seemed to be that there were some discussions within Chelsea about the extension of his contract rather than the loan move. It seemed like the loan move to Palace was the easiest bit to, to negotiate, but it seemed to be kind of internal discussions at Chelsea that were delaying it. And then as the week progressed and we kind of went beyond the weekend, um, there seemed to be further complications in that were murmurings as to whether he was part of at least a discussion whether the loan deal was part of that discussion and then as of last night I understand Newcastle have now entered the building with the weight of their checkbook so you never know what to believe so Edmund any light you can shine on the uh, situation greatly received by Joe and myself and many listeners I'm sure uh, I'm still pretty sure it's going on but, uh, I think he'll end up signing a new contract at Chelsea and, and end up coming on loan to us because we see him not just as a left back I think we see him playing in a variety of positions for us um I'd find it very strange for a player to, to be close to signing a new deal when they're a club deciding that they want to sell them, uh, especially a youngster who's done well over pre-season, very highly rated. Uh, they want to get rid of Cucurella. Ben Chilwell's injury record speaks for itself, so I'd find it strange if Chelsea are willing to sell it to a top-four rival as well, uh, to Newcastle. I don't think they'd want to strengthen them, so I'm still pretty sure that he'll end up joining Palace. I'm not sure what the delay's been. Um we do seem to take a while to announce players, but 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty convinced that, that Lewis Hall will be a Crystal Palace player on loan at some stage in this in this window. And Eben, we, we waxed lyrical about Hall last week on the pod and Andy was on with us and, and you know could see that he was going to be a real talent. I heard from a lot of Chelsea fans saying that they were surprised he was being let go, even if it was on a temporary basis. So what do you know of, of Lewis Hall as, as a player? What, what have you seen from Lewis Hall? Well, when I saw him play against us, I think it was in January, wasn't it, under when they were managed by Graham Potter, I thought Michael Lise absolutely rinsed him. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't too sure. Uh, that was just for the, the press box, so I could only really see one half of, of the Stamford Bridge pit, uh, pitch. Um, I, I mean, he's very highly rated. I think he's done very well during pre-season by all accounts. And Crystal Palace see him probably playing in a little bit more advanced position than left-back. I wouldn't necessarily even say he's coming into to be competition to Mitchell or more just back up just in case anything happens, which is great. You know, we don't want to stunt his progression or development this season under Roy, um, where he looked better towards the back end of last season uh, for another Chelsea player only to fall in love with them and see them go again. And then we stunted our own players' development. Uh, so I, I, I think maybe Lewis Hall's, I think per- perhaps he's himself maybe is playing slightly more advanced as well in a central midfield role. Um, but when you're looking at how well Jefferson Lerber and Czech Decore did on Saturday, you wouldn't necessarily want to break up that partnership. So it offers the sort of thought processes. Are they going to be moved out onto the left? Is T going to play as a false ten and bring others into play? I, I can I can feel list, I can feel listers wincing at the prospects of, of Ebbs being moved on the flank. But um, yeah, I, I mean you yeah certainly raise a fair point there in terms of breaking out that Lerma and and Decore uh, partnership, even after just one game, look, would look a bit. Silly, but I understand Hall does play central midfield for being the new that's, teams that he's played for as yeah, well. So that that's quite interesting. And I think um, he'll just be supplementing that area of the pitch. I think he's probably um, adding qualities to the squad in that part of the pitch. Um, and who knows, depending on incomings between now and the end of the month, we may be considering Jeffrey Schlupper an attacker rather than, uh, and again, I can hear, sense the listener wincing at that one. But um, it's an interesting one. And... and just finally, Edmund, you were here. We go by for Fabrizio Romano. So, how did that feel? Was was that quite the moment, or are you just kind of excited to become normal? It was. It was very strange. I had a I had a terrible cold, and I just took two nighttime lemsit flea tablets, and I was hoping, I was hoping for an early night. And, and uh, as I took them, they got the little tag on, on my phone, and uh, struggled to sleep until about three thirty that morning. It was. Uh, it, it was a, it was it was the proud moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's I couldn't quite believe it, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of hoping the transfer goes through now, just for Crystal Palace's own benefit. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was it was really nice. It was really nice, especially been on New Edmonds. And um, what I loved about that kind of Twitter announcement when we thought it was close to being done, and as you say, we hope it still will be done, was as many Palace fans were excited about your mentioning Fabrizio Romano's tweet as they were about the signing of Lewis Hall. So congratulations on that. Hopefully the first of many, first of many, Edmund. Um, Joe, I think we'll move on for transfers. There's there's plenty of other stuff to talk about. And uh, they do want to do they they do want to bring in more players. I think yeah, Vicente Guaita's tweet on on Saturday showed that we we will be needing another goalkeeper in the not too distant future. Uh, we need more attackers, more wide players, especially with Michael Elise going. I'm not too sure whether Callum Hudson is an actual target. I saw that being linked in the. In the past few days, um, the the one thing I would say is when you look at how well Jefferson Lerma did in his debut, you know it's all good and well going out and buying these nineteen year olds with lots of potential, but you have to supplement the squad with these these free agents who have the Premier League experience. Looking at Adama Traore going to Fulham the other day would have been perfect for our squad. Yeah, someone 
who would allow Jezza and Ratsaki to go out on loan and develop, but also add experience to our bench where if we brought him on for the last 15 minutes in a Premier League game, he will change up our game plan. That was a problem too many times towards the end of last season. You looked at the bench and thought, there's going to be someone who comes on here and changes the outcome of the game. So they need to address that and uh, they haven't got many days left to do it. Yeah, and it's, it's a point that sells the on a round home towards the end of last season and throughout pre-season that you need those kind of ready-to-go signings as well. You know, signing for the future is great and, you know, the signings of that nature up to now have been very positive. Mark Gay, Maestro Lisa, Brick Jerzy have all shown that that approach can and will work. Um, but adding Jefferson Lerma, he's 28 with 100 Premier League appearances, the current Premier League team's current player of the season, it's a no-brainer. And I think there are still a few deals to be done out there. I mean, I know Damari Gray doesn't necessarily get everyone that excited, but Everton have, have kind of give, not given him a squad number this season, which I think, in essence, just takes money off the the deal they're trying to get. So I, you're talking about Callum Hudson-Odoi, again, it could be done, although he's somewhat priced himself out of a deal for a lot of Premier League clubs because he's on such big money at, at Chelsea. But someone like Damari Gray, again, could be that sensible signing that just adds a bit of quality compared to what we have. And that Premier League know-how, that experience, the ability to score goals in the Premier League, the, the ability to win games in the Premier League, that that is ultimately priceless. I think he's the type of signing that I, I would not be surprised if we see the club make between now and the end of the season. But we shall see. But everyone is reassured to hear that we are still in business. We will come on to Benny in a moment as well because I know... Uh, that, that has prompted some uh, opinion from the Palace fan base. I'm sure both of you have uh, have your thoughts on that one. Just in terms of squad depth, though, and, and you mentioned there, Edmonds, and I'll come to you, Joe, on this one. Um, the hot topic ahead of the season starting across the board has been the extension of added time to both first and second half um, to kind of combat squads or teams eating into the clock. Um, Joe Roy, infamously a little slower with making subs. Mm. Do you think we'll see as you know, with an increase of half duration, do you think we'll see him have to adapt to that or do we think he'll stick to his old ways? And is it simply a case that if he looks back at the bench and hasn't got the options he likes, it doesn't matter what he's seeing out on the pitch, he just will not trust to make the change? I think I think Project Restart and, and all the COVID football and increased number of subs that were allowed weren't really capitalised on. I think that was a kind of real sign that if if Roy doesn't think what he's got sat behind him is worth bringing on, he's not going to. Now, um, that's not to say that John Kamani Gordon or Jezrak Saki are Brandon Pirik necessarily. Brandon Pirik, who played on the weekend for AFC Croydon, by the way. Yes. Um, uh, they're late, the, the Zaha's marquee signing. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I have this theory with the added time that um, because players have rallied against it all quite vocally already, um, I'm already now starting to see, uh, you know, there was a spate of ACL injuries recently, and I think people are allowing themselves to relate the two and saying that the last thing we need, having playing too much football, the last thing we need is another sort of 15 minutes every week um, on uh, for every time we play. I've got a feeling that club players will there almost be like a voice messaging from the top that will encourage let's like don't keep doing the same things that allow this much time to get added on actually let's pick up the pace a little bit and just get things moving so that it goes does 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 go down to the four or five because if it doesn't i think it's probably actually a bit of a um 
irresponsibility on the players from as in just like a bit lax for them to not react to that. But do, no, do I you think, do. You think we'll see what happened during the World Cup or the first few, the first round of the group stage in the World Cup? We saw 12, 13 minutes given for a lot of halves as we entered knockout football. When you know the teams had kind of realised what was going on, and, and maybe even referees realised what was going on a bit more. We started to see the more typical, you know, maybe three to five minutes, and, and sometimes even back down to the one to two minutes for the first half. Do you think we'll see it settle down? And, and is it just, I don't know, a bit of a bit of a push by the PGMOL to begin the season with? But eventually, I mean, I, I could see one big clash being broadcaster saying, "Yeah, you're, you're massively overrunning into our ad time." You know, the 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 time between the two games on a Sunday in the UK, you know, one is due to finish at at one for uh, say three forty five. Typically, even last season was pushing four o'clock. I think the, the Brentford Tottenham game on Sunday finished at ten past between ten past and quarter past four, which gave Sky no time to really get into the the kind of preview ahead of, of Chelsea-Liverpool. And I, I could just see broadcasters trying to say, what's going on here? Because, you know, money talks ultimately. Um, what, what do you think on that one, Joe? Exactly. I mean, that for, for, a, for a viewer was great because even I think the instances of the World Cup, waiting for that kind of hour gap between uh, BBC and ITV's coverage, you go, great, I think there's only 20 minutes now between each game. But I think the broadcasters would hate it. But more, I think, more broadly, I think the, I think the, the players and the managers and the staff are not going to like it at all. So, yeah, I do think it will die down a little bit. Um, how that affects Palace in terms of subs, go back to the original question, I don't I don't expect too much change there unless unless Roy really thinks we can make a difference. Um, I mean, we made one change on Sunday. Well, Ed, Edmund can maybe go into a bit more detail about that well. one. But it, it, and it was James Tompkins on for, for Mark Gay. I mean, ultimate, put your trust in me, Kind of guy, James Tompkins, who who you know Roy would turn to in a crisis, and and he did. Uh, Mark Gay was that a, a muscle pull or something, or a bit of cramp? I, I think I think it was just cramp. I don't think it was anything serious. So um, yeah, I haven't heard any. But in terms of would be in terms of the subs that, that Roy made, I, I saw someone complaining that that he only made one sub, and all these other managers made a ton of others, but. Palace were pretty much in control of the the whole game, and he's not going to throw someone on like Jezrat Saku, who, okay, great, he's had a fantastic season at Charlton, and he should go out again and prove himself at the next level. But he's not going to throw one in the Premier League to potentially lose his man and drop two points away to Sheffield United on the opening day of the season. Palace were very, very much in control of that game on Saturday. Yeah. There was no point throwing these players on just to change it up because there was nothing that was needed. You know, you know Palace easily could have walked away with four or five on the day if they if they had a bit more uh, match sharpness within them so yeah I can't I can't I can't understand why people were, were complaining about that how did it feel in the ground did you send to players picking up the pace a little bit to avoid the referee ire at all or, or was it still pretty much as last season and no. that's just going to accept the additional time it all seemed fine to me I mean I speak to a lot of EFL players for, for work for Wimbledon Millwall Charlton these guys play 12 extra games than in their division every season. These players can do it. There's no, there's, okay, possibly more injuries might just happen because there's more football being played and there's more risk of a crunching challenge or putting your knee in the wrong place. But that's not happening just because of the added minutes in, in the game. You know, these players are just physical specimens. They can do it. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any any difference within the game. I think the only problem is going to be trying to get away from Selhurst with the, with the trains if there's... 12 added minutes on, uh, on Monday night but um, I, I'm, I'm here for it I, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the jeopardy that adds to the game I think uh, midweeks are going to be a nightmare now yeah, well, now you we, mentioned it we'll see it on Monday night we'll see it on Monday night yeah I don't want I, 
I was considering Plymouth away in the cup. I might have to stay over there now. <laughs> yeah, game ending on the Thursday now, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, I would not be surprised if we see that kind of new initiative settle down quite quickly. I think clubs and players and, fortunately, more importantly, broadcasters and the media might have said. But also fan groups may well start to point things out, like midweek games, seeing fans have to leave. But, you know, for a lot of Premier League grounds, there are residential orders in place where places have to be kind of back to normal by half 10, 11 o'clock. And, and we could see that not be the case even just this coming Monday. So we shall see. Um, we'll, we'll leave that one there. And it's certainly something to keep an eye out on the, between now and the, and the rest of the season. And um, we'll just quickly touch on on the Vicente Guaita situation. We had a question from at I am Milky Joe. Um, he says, I'm happy with the performance, but is the lack of substitutes um, a message to the board? We've just covered that one, uh, Milky Joe. Um, but also he asked, uh, is there any insight from Mr. Sells, REVG? We'll leave the Sellsy insight for those that received the post-match pods. Um, <laughs> we'll leave that exclusive uh, for the patrons. Um, but there, there certainly was some insight. Um, but the situation clearly is far from ideal. Um, for anyone that didn't see it, I think there was a, a post from Vicente Guaita's official Twitter account, basically questioning how he could play for Palace when his name was not listed on, on the graphic that indicated the starting 11 and the subs bench at 2pm on Saturday. Um, Joe, just very quickly, what are your thoughts on the situation? We covered it last week in terms of Vinny's time at Palace coming to an end and, and the likelihood that, um, as Edmund says, Palace will need to bring in a, a, a new goalkeeper to kind of supplement that part of the squad. But what are your thoughts on the kind of whole pantomime of the, the Twitter message on Saturday? I was I was surprised, you know, if if he wants to leave, I, I'm not I'm not against that. I, I feel like, as, as we probably covered last week, I think we all had kind of assumed that he, you know, well, and also looking at his age and profile, we were probably looking at his last season at, at Celeste anyway. Uh, but with the contract renewal that it was implied, we'd probably w- wave goodbye at the end of the year, not during. Um, and I, but, but if he want, if he had interest to leave earlier, I kind of understood it. You know, it's just assuming his interest in Spain. So the few links that we have seen publicly appear to be back in his home country. But that particular thing, I was just a bit bemused by it, really. I, I don't know whether the motivation of that is to kind of make people aware that, or make fans aware that it's not of his own choice, that he's refu- like maybe he's not refusing to play. Actually, he's, you know, I, I just want to leave, but I'm available if, if they want me. Um, it, it was, but, you know, I don't, I don't think it helped himself and, and how kind of, the supporters certainly didn't take it very well at sort of five past two from what I could see. So I don't see, I don't, whatever it was meant to do, I don't think it worked or succeeded. I mean, g- given your weekend activities, I'm surprised you could see at five past two on Saturday, Jagger. Fair play to you, mate. I was in bed. Edmund, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a far from ideal situation. You, you referred in a previous answer to the fact that we are actively looking for uh, a new goalkeeper to come into the squad. Um, I presume you think that Vinny's time at Palace is, is coming to an end. And, and to paraphrase Selzy from uh, post-match pod, um, not to give the full insight that he offered, but he kind of indicated that it may well not be Vicente himself making right. making the tweet. Um, and, and quite possibly it is someone doing that on his behalf, but you know, it's Vicente's uh, Twitter account, so therefore it's, it's in his name, but it may be not him pressing the buttons. But... Edmund, your, your thoughts very quickly just on, on what is a sad end to a to a very good spell in a Palace shirt, but it does seem to be coming to quite the bitter end. 
Yeah, I think I think you're completely right in calling it sad. It's a terribly sad situation for it to come to this. Um, I think he would have been better himself, but it all being done quietly, uh, not out in the public in terms of playing during pre-season. Uh, keep picking up your wage, keep keep performing well for the club, and they will move you on very quietly without you needing to make all this all this mess. Um, if you had your heart set on leaving. Um, I'm sure the club would have done one would have done something to try and make it happen. So for it to come to this is uh, is is terribly sad, and he's not done himself any favors, or whoever runs the account for him has not done them any favors. Because if you want to get another football club in this country, um, I'm sure they're going to take a look at, at what's happened and think they might swerve you because of the situation. It's um, it, I mean, he's, in terms of a servant for, for his time playing, he was, he was unbelievable. For a free transfer and another shrewd bit of business by the football club, he's he's more than paid it back in terms of performances and, and points saved. But it's uh, you know Sam Sam waited for his chance and took it with both with both hands. And Sam Sam picked up injuries last season, so there's nothing to say that Vicente wouldn't have gotten a chance to reclaim his starting spot this season. But uh, unfortunately, the the impatience has has won, and it looks like he'll be moving on. Yeah, Joe, Joe referenced that last week. In terms of but the the jeopardy the club now faces, they don't just need to find a number two; they need to find a number two that could well be number one at points this season. And that's difficult when the budget is already stretched, as as we know it, and it seems to be. The idea you've now got to go and find money to to find a suitable number two is um, is far from ideal. And uh, you know, you would hope that. Sam Johnson's fitness is maintained throughout the season. So you mentioned last week you weren't sure about his injury record previously. He has had he, he has had seasons at West Brom where he went through the whole season without injury. So okay. it, not as though that is a, an issue, but last season is the most recent year we have to go on. And, and he had two separate injuries, which kind of impacted his, his settling into Palace. But he's very much the number one now and actually is the number one. That was a change of squad number um, during the close season. So... He is the number one moving forward, and it'll be interesting to see who Palace can pick up. Um, I think Selzy did indicate that um, they have been active and, and have come close to, to doing certain things. Alex McCarthy's name has been mentioned as we discussed last week. I'm still not particularly comfortable with with that. And it does take me back to 2015 and some, some <laughs> uh, nervous uh, watching of of that Palace team under Pardew. But we shall see. Um, you know, there's, there's probably something that does need to happen. Finally, just before we uh, come to an end of the questions part, and Lister, thanks for sticking with us. Um, Dan Welsh, it's not so much a question, more of a statement. 37 points from safety. Uh, Dan, I like your thinking, um, but I think it's actually closer. Uh, given analysis of the last decade uh, requirements to stay in the Premier League, I think it's actually um, a case that we've just completed 8% of the way to staying up for another Premier League season. So uh, that is handy. That is tongue very firmly in cheek. Um, but guys, who do you have to go down this season? We didn't talk about other clubs much in the preview, but Edwin, I guess having seen Sheffield United line, it probably didn't do much to dissuade you of the opinion that they are going to struggle this season. We'll, we'll start with you for your three. I mean, they've signed players who were playing in, in League One or bottom of the Championship and expecting them to perform in the in the Premier League level. I mean, it's a great business if you want to go back down and have a chance of going straight back up, but selling Element DI and Sander Burgess... Uh, it's a tough, tough ask for them. Uh, I'd, I'd say Luton as well. So several desires said Luton, and and the one I'm struggling with is is that third team. Uh, Everton would would be a a pick just because every time they seem like they're they're a slight mess of a football club at the moment. I don't think Palace are in 
any danger of going down. Like, okay, we're going to lose our best player and potentially our second best player in Mark Lelise. But when I mean, you've got Roy there and the solid foundation that we've got, there's there's not much danger in terms of, yeah, we're a very good Premier League team. We just lack that magic at the top end of the pitch to be a consistently very good Premier League team. Um, the, the, so apart from Sheffield United and, and Luton, and I'm struggling to think of a, a third team that might slot in there. There's always a surprise who, who might drop down. I think, as you say, just hopefully we aren't that, that third team. I'm, I'm comfortable we, we won't be um, Roy at the helm, but I'm sure people would prefer back to this particular podcast if come May that we aren't. Joe, you're, you're three to go. And it's Sheffield United and Luton, two of your three. Sheffield United certainly after what I saw on Saturday, although I know that there'll be more income into there. And there's plenty of time for them to turn it around. Luton, I think to their credit, actually, they've made some quite interesting signings and interesting low-budget signings. But um, they don't seem particularly interested in betting the house on trying to stay up, which I think they will be more entitled to. But I think having gone through everything that they have in the last 10, 15 years, I think they're just quite happy to give it a good go within reason and and not jeopardise the, f- the future of the club and over one kind of silly kind of s- season up. So I think, I don't think they'll, they'll stick around. You know, I think they'll do better than people expect, but I don't, yeah, I presume they're going to do it. My, my outside shout was Wolves, but their performance at Old Trafford really, maybe it's a demonstration more of Manchester United right now rather than them, but I was really pleasantly surprised by their performance. Um, yeah, yeah, they look very good. Far better than a lot of people were thinking they would look. Absolutely. So I maybe have to take them out of the equation. Although they still can't score for Toffee. No, no. It's down to, to Sean Derry. There you go. Oh, well, Sean Derry, I mean, yeah, funny you raise him. Obviously, that, that, that news broke as we were recording the preview last season. I'd actually forgotten all about it until I saw him emerge from the dugout at the end of the game last night. And uh, yeah, he has gone. I mean, I just love the obsession that certain Palace fans have about Sean Derry and how unjust his, the treatment of Sean Derry was and now he's a evil villain for disappearing having been on Garden League. It's all, <laughs> I can't believe we spend so much time as a fan base talking about Sean Derry. Good luck to him. Uh, it's a wonderful gig to be an assistant manager in the Premier League so um, it's an opportunity that he could have turned down. I, I, I'm with you, Joe. I, I would have said Wolves were going to struggle. I think Everton... That's my heart. My heart says Everton. Yeah, well, I think Everton are going to really... It, the house is on Dominic Calvert-Lewin this year. And I think Saturday proved that, that if they don't have a guy they can score, they can make 20 chances. Um, but if it's Neil Mopé, you're expecting to score the goals to keep you up. He's not your man. Um, so he they could very much be there. Bournemouth have made some very good signings. I just think it's a lot of new things at once. And I I do wonder how Bournemouth will get on this season. Um, they're, they're ones that I would look at. And I'm intrigued. I, I, I think I said this last week. I'm intrigued as to how Brentford will get on this season. I think with um, missing their focal point for at least half the season, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what they look decent against Spurs on Saturday. Uh, sorry, Sunday. But I'm intrigued to see where they will be when Ivan Tony makes his first appearance of the season on January. So I'll go Luton, Sheffield United. And I think I probably would still say Wolves because that's where I was. Just one good performance last night. And they were only a VAR awful piece of refereeing away from a, a last minute penalty but I still think Wolves will struggle this season they may have one or two departures still to come um, so thank you boys that's part three so that listen that was a very lengthy part three so um, I think Jim and Edit may well chop that into uh, maybe two parts so I'll refer to it as one part but you may well have heard it as two parts but thank you for sticking with us hopefully we covered uh, enough of the questions there thank you for your questions apologies if we didn't get around to your ones but do please keep submitting them 
each week and we will get round to uh, a number of different topics as the season progresses, I'm sure. So next up, we'll very quickly preview Monday's fixture home to Arsenal. So join us after the break. Welcome back to the final part of this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sports. Um, so we've talked about the kind of status quite Palace. Let's look ahead to Monday night, uh, Palace's first home game of the season. Uh, Arsenal are the visitors to SE25, and Arsenal come this season with a raft of hopes following a very impressive last season where they were beaten to the title by Manchester City, but did put up an incredibly solid effort and I think exceed the expectations of their own fans, let alone anyone else. Um, Joe, what have you thought about Arsenal's summer business? I mean, they, they've made some I know, headline signings, Declan Rice being, I guess, the most prominent, but they've spent serious money on Kai Havertz, uh, Urien Timber, who I know is now injured, but they have kind of seriously backed Mikel Arteta after what was a very impressive season last time out. Yeah, quite. You know, if you were to really kind of pick apart the lesson or, like, you know, observe how their last season went and what they needed to do. It was to improve the depth as much as it was the starting lineup. But I think they have successfully done both, really. They're even announced Raya today and yes. um, at, at the time of recording. And I was very impressed from what I saw. I, I did watch I did watch their game as well. Um, they hosted Forest on the opening day. And certainly the first half it was like a festival of football. Like They were very relaxed, enjoyed themselves. I mean, the opening goal was a really, really impressive kind of footwork from Martinelli. They still look like the team that can go out there and enjoy themselves, but then with a Declan Rice in there now as well, it, that's that's um, quite remarkable. I, uh, an excellent player. And f- incredibly, now looking like a, a an un, you know undebatably good value signing in the current market. <laughs> you know, if that, had, if that was still being having to be negotiated now as opposed to you know, a month ago, there probably another 20, 30 million on top of that in, in the way the, what the fees that people are asking. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're, you know, as good as they were last season already there. I've still got play people missing. You mentioned Timber. That sounds like a season-ending injury already. Which, does it really? Is it that bad? Yeah, like I think it's a ACL from what, wow. from what I can tell. It's very unfortunate. Um, I guess the, the glimmer of hope for Palace in that game was that they got they've got a two 0 lead, albeit what two very incredible goals. But you know, arguably the second, particularly Saka's, is not you know that's not the you as a defence you're almost quite happy to let people shoot from there half the time. So you know, you're not not exactly peppering Nottingham Forest, and then we're comfortable with that two goal lead, and then you know one very kind of fast paced counter got a goal back for Forrest and then suddenly you felt the nerves around the Emirates again like it was three, four years ago or something and now and yeah it, people were watching the clock and and you know Forrest are very good on the on on the counter just on just on pace alone really um, Alanga who knew Sider did very well and you, you suddenly look to a Jeffrey Schluck or someone and go actually okay we do have those players still that can benefit from that kind of space 
if they're going to play very high up the pitch. And in, in that second half, I saw pockets that I thought Ebery Chose would be able to to exploit quite nicely. But, you know, you trust it. Arteta will look back at that performance and try and plug the gaps that maybe Forrest exploited. Forrest are the other team. Sorry, I did mention them in the previous part in terms of my three to go down. I think Forrest will struggle this season and would have Steve Cooper as my first manager to go this season. Um, that's uh, for another debate. Anyway. Okay. Um, Edmund, can you see Arsenal kind of competing again for a title? Do you think that depends as much on them or, or would City need to drop off a bit more from last season? Yeah, I'd never really bet against City under Tech Guardiola. I think that even last season when Arsenal looked like they were going to win the league, you, you never count out City under Pet. They're, uh, they're a different beast, especially with Erling Haaland up top. But um, in terms of the team I'm expecting to come to Selhurst on Monday, it's going to be a very, very difficult challenge for us. Um, you know, if you look at the way that we sort of bossed the, the Sheffield United game, I was expecting Arsenal to do that to us. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be out of the game. I think the, the problem is with, with our squad at the moment, we have a fantastic base and I expect us to frustrate Arsenal for, for quite large periods of the game, which we need to exploit. But when you're looking at the top end of the pitch, I can't imagine uh, George Lyle is going to burst past Ben White or Zinchenko too many times and cross low for uh, Otto Edward to be unmarked in the box, basically. So it's, uh, yeah, if if we do get a chance or two, we need to make sure that we take them because um, it's going to be a completely different test. But it'll be a good test to see where we are and it might be a, a reality sort of check for certain uh, aspects of the football club to, to say we might need a few more players in that attacking forward department. Yeah, we'll see. Would you would you expect the team to be unchanged? Yes, yeah, I would. Yeah. Joe, similar. Yeah, I, I don't see any. I don't see any reason why it would be changed so immediately, particularly with the options that are available. Any I don't. Uh, yeah, unless there was an enforced one, I, I don't. I don't think so. I agree. Um, boys, predictions for first hand game of the season. Joe, you can you can take us take us into this one. I chose to be positive in my cheese rolls chat this week I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna be consistent and go with it i think we'll beat them let's why not let's just let's live a little let's say let's say two two nil even you know well let's can. let's i'm let, i'm it's so bleak and dour and it's point particularly going through my phone across the week i'm choosing to just i'm choosing to go against the grain let's why not i think is it wouldn't it be fun if you know, the sellers under the lights thing hasn't really been a thing as often as we like recently. But let's let's hark back to that spirit. Why why wouldn't it be great if that this midfield core that we're really excited about now really does give Arsenal an absolute nightmare? I, how fun does that sound? Let's just let's just let's manifest it. I want to. I, I think it as Ed says. I think it's going to be. I think they're really going to put a shift in. I will expect a second half with uh, twelve minutes added time. I think it's going to be awful, regardless of what we're holding on to. Yes, um, but I, I, I want to back them. I want to. I, I think it's. And yeah, I, I want, I'm choosing to have a great night out. For I love that. I love it. I love it. And then, and you know, we can be optimistic until we aren't. So let's uh, exactly, let, let's exactly. ride with it. Edmund, your prediction. Is this going to be our first game under Roy since he came back against the team in the top ten? Yes, I believe it is. Uh, good, good chat. So it's going to be interesting to see how we get on because there was a game, I can't remember off the top of my head, I've watched too much football, but the game towards the end of the season when people were slightly frustrated saying this was like the good and the bad of Roy where... The Spurs, Spurs, yeah. Spurs, 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 Sp
So I'm going to be interested to see how how we take this Arsenal team on, and and when we do get chances, how we're gonna how we can actually take them. But I'm, uh, in terms of prediction, uh, I'm not quite as positive as Joe. So I'm going to go with a one 0 Arsenal, but it will be a goal late on in the second half after we've frustrated them for large large periods of the game. Well, you made my prediction easy. I'll uh, I'll complete the set and go for a one one draw. Um, oh, yeah, we've got a win win draw and a defeat there, but. I think it, I think we'll give them a good game, and and I think I think Ebbs will have his moments in this game. I think that that Arsenal midfield, despite the, the good additions, they're they're still finding their feet, um, and and the kind of gaps that Forest exploited. I think we've got better players than Forest, and I think we might be able to maybe do a bit of damage to them. But we should say it's just going to be lovely to be back at Selhurst, and uh, for everyone that can't make it, you know, it's it's going to be. Live uh, uh, Monday Night Football with their new studio and the new layout. I wasn't quite sure on that last night, so <laughs> thankfully I won't be able to watch that next Monday. Um, but yeah, hopefully the the boys. Said, know, who knows? Could see even see maybe a few half-time announcements of uh, stellar new signings. But maybe that's even still missing for Joe Walker. Who knows? <laughs> um, Jen, thanks so much for joining me uh, this week. Um, as Jim said last week, uh, we are trying a few new hosts. Joe, I think it's your turn in a few weeks' time uh, to help JD out as he. Uh, Completes other professional endeavours, so uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm happy to pass the mic over to you for a couple of weeks' time. But I think Jim's back next week for the Arsenal. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, don't don't don't, don't hold me okay. on that. Okay, Lister Lister doesn't want to hear pod admin in, so we'll, <laughs> we'll take it off. We'll take it off the air. Uh, but Lister, thanks for sticking with us this week. It's um, it's a joy to start talking about football again. And uh, as as fun as the preseason chat was, it's always lovely to actually talk about on pitch activity. So. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, there'll be a post-match pod uh, with you guys uh, for patrons um, after the uh, Arsenal game and there'll be a midweek pod dropping uh, around this time next week. So um, thanks for tuning in. Edmund, thank you so much. First appearance of many this season. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining. And um, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Many thanks. Podcast Network.